Welcome to our podcast. We are the Massachusetts Health Data Consortium. We are dedicated to improving the quality and availability of health data for patient care, payment, quality measurement, and public policy. In our podcast, we will talk with innovators in health data to make sense of where and how their contributions fit. Information security is much more than the portfolio of technologies that organizations use to protect their networks and their data. Understanding users as people more than employees is critical to changing their habits when it comes to protecting information. People do work at home, and they do homework at the office. They use multiple devices, and they take their information security behaviors and habits with them wherever they go. Hello, I'm Denny Brennan, and I'm the Executive Director of the Massachusetts Health Data Consortium. Chris Zanettos is the CEO of Covered Security, an information security firm that specializes in human-based risk and behavior change. In today's podcast, we talk about this approach and why it has to be a central component of any effective security strategy. Chris Zanettos, Covered Security. Thank you for joining us today. My pleasure, Denny. Uh, Chris, when we were planning for this podcast, one of the things that stuck with me is that security or risk reduction, as you've described it, is much more than this portfolio of technologies that organizations use to protect their networks, to protect their data. Would you elaborate on that? Sure. Um, Over the past uh, few decades, organizations have spent a lot of money um, trying to secure their infrastructure, trying to combat people, trying to break in as we've taken advantage of networks, of computing power to automate so much and actually make new ways of communicating and engaging people uh, possible in business. Um, Hackers have really gone after that infrastructure, try to break, find where vulnerabilities are, And as a consequence, organizations have spent a lot of money trying to secure that infrastructure um, to make sure that there aren't known vulnerabilities to watch how hackers are trying to break in and build up defenses. Um, In fact, uh, uh, that's where about 98% of the spend on security goes, is focused on the infrastructure. The reality, though, is that the organization puts together a combination of things to try to manage the risk of people stealing information or using information the way they shouldn't, stealing money, etc. They want to uh, create a secure or more secure infrastructure. Um, They have policies around who can do what, who should be able to see what or access what information, what they should be able to do with it. Um, And they put those policies Um, together with the infrastructure and maybe some education to tell people, you know, this is how we should behave when we're using uh, the electronic infrastructure. Um, And when you put those together, it's sort of like uh, pieces of a puzzle because to truly be effective around security, it it is a system. You can't secure everything to where no one can break in. It's sort of like a house. I mean, you can put locks, you can put an alarm system, um, you could put a moat, if you wanted to, but people can break in. It's just a question of how much time it will take them and how costly it is. And um, it's similar with the organization. You want to put together 
preventative controls to prevent people from breaking in, but you also want to be able to detect if they have broken in, respond effectively, and you want what we would call in the security business compensating controls, things that sort of protect if someone does break in and limit what they can actually do. So you try to put these all in place with these policies and the infrastructure around security um, and, the, and the training and education. But there's another piece of puzzle to all this, which is people's behavior, what we actually do when we're using the computing infrastructure. And I think a real challenge for uh, the organization today is that 98% of the security expenditures have focused on securing the infrastructure and only about 2% on securing the people. And our behavior all too often doesn't fit in with the policies and the infrastructure because we want things to be convenient. Um, we don't understand the implications of taking particular actions and how much risk it creates for us individually, but also for uh, our companies, our employers. So, um, you know, when we talk about security being a system, we have to remember it's not just a system of technologies. It's a system that includes people um, who, in the end, sort of act rationally. You know, if something is going to take their time, they'll look at it and they'll say, is it better that I spend 20 minutes doing this security thing or is it better that I spend my time tending to patients or dealing with the back office work uh, so the organization can get insurance payments to continue to fund uh, the operation? So I think pe people and organizations are beginning to understand that there's this overweighting towards the infrastructure and that we've been really neglecting the people part of the equation because hackers realize that we've spent 98% of the money on infrastructure and they go where it's weakest. They are sort of like water trying to get into a house. It will find a way. And what they understand right now is that many organizations, because we've given so much access to so many people to enable things, um, that people are the weak link. And so they're attacking people relentlessly. And of course, we all see this every day. How many emails do we get from people every day that are trying to scam us in some way? We all see this. Um, there are many other ways that hackers are targeting us as individuals. Um, so hackers understand this. Right now, actually, almost three quarters of security incidents in organizations are at least in part the result of individuals' behavior. Um, and we're seeing that because the hackers are relentlessly attacking them. And so what organizations have typically done is they've ramped up the education part of that puzzle. Um, they've uh, presented educational material, videos that people have to look at and take quizzes. They've tested people. They've tested people with fake phishing emails. Um, now, those haven't really excited people. We've all taken those tests. And well, it must be, and it must be a little bit depressing to find out how many people actually fail the test when you, when you give the test, too, I would think. Um, it is, and it's a source of frustration for many a security uh, executive. That's for sure. Um, but part of the challenge with that is um, 
you know, we live our, our personal lives, we live them on our phones and on the web, and we're engaged in, in uh, really exciting ways. And typically the training has been very dry, right? It's, uh, you know, watch this 20-minute video and answer these five questions. And again, you're trying to trade that off for your responsibility and obligation of what you're supposed to do for the organization. Now, lately, organizations have been trying to, you know, make them more engaging, jazz it up a little bit. Um, gamify things, use cartoons, use a little humor. And that's great. That will lead to more sort of retention of what you should be doing and maybe what you shouldn't be doing. But it doesn't necessarily change behavior. And that's the key, right, is that um, in the end, we've taken at Covered Security, we've taken a really close look at people's behavior online, both security professionals' behavior and and what I would call uh, normal people. I normal, don't think I'm normal. normal. people, right. Yeah, not the paranoid security folks like me, right? Um, we've looked at that behavior, and um, we've noticed some really interesting things. And um, the first thing is that we, we've noticed that security professionals tend um, to get compromised online at a much lower rate than uh, the typical person. So a typical person who's not a security person, um, they will fall prey to identity theft or fraud or online compromise at a rate almost 125% higher than a security professional. And we looked uh, really closely at that. We uh, started looking across uh, uh, tens of thousands of people and eventually millions of people and looked at behavior across over 200 online areas of behavior. And using machine learning, we found out that actually there are 18 behavior patterns that differentiate security experts from non-experts that lead to this much higher rate of compromise for the non-experts. And um, you know, a lot of those behaviors would not surprise many people, right? Uh, you know, not reusing the same password for all their accounts or not clicking very uh, quickly on right. clicking emails. clicking on that link that <laughs> exactly. you see in a, yeah in an email. certainly those things there are some other things that were uh, that are surprising but as we dug into it we realized that the the issue wasn't that people don't care you know a lot of security people they get cynical and they say um, you know the users they just don't care about security that's not true in our surveying of people, we found out that actually 80 to 90% of people are very concerned about security and privacy. The problem is uh, what I call a mismatch of capability and incentive. Um, companies have a lot of capability. They have the security experts. They have the technology. Um, people generally don't have that expertise. Um, and, the, and the other is incentive. Companies understand the implications to the organization and to people individually of what we would call poor security hygiene or poor security behavior. Um, people have a hard time understanding that, you know, and we're sort of conditioned in our private lives around that. If our credit card is um, used online and abused and we have credit card fraud, what happens? We simply cancel the card and Exactly. And but, we don't bear the but, liability Exactly. For it, right? by, by law, um, our liability is constrained to $50. Now, that's not true if our bank account's uh, hacked. 
Um, but we sort of believe it is. <laughs> the banks realize that, and you know they're going to try to protect us as best they can. But you know, in our personal life, we don't really understand the implications, and because of that, it, it sort of rolls into work too. We don't really understand what it means to the organization, what it could mean, and so the key we think is to drive incentive, make it visible, um, but also drive that capability to people because they want to be more secure and they want to uh, manage privacy better. All right. So you've described this this movement toward people, toward toward users, as moving from this traditional security push to a user pull. What do you mean by that? So um, that is how we uh, characterize it, right? Um, for, I guess it's decades. I, I always say, you know, the, the, the problem of user behavior has been with us since the dawn of computing, or at least the first time we ever connected one computer to another, all of a sudden we really realized we had some challenges, right? And since that day until almost the present day, the way we've tried to deal with this in terms of educating people is with the security staff just pushing information out to them. Um, now, we've also started seeing regulations which require some of this. Um, and it's really us in security trying to explain security to people who don't understand security. Well, the, the problem is um, we tend to over-explain. We tend to not reduce the complexity very well. Um, but it's, you know, every quarter or every six months, we're going to push some education or we're going to push a test out to you, and then we'll see how you're doing. I think the much more um, likely successful approach is actually to enable and motivate people to actually pull information about security because they're interested, because they're concerned, um, and really facilitate them creating new habits and educating themselves. And it, you know, it's sort of like um, uh, uh, taking a totally new approach to how we engage users. And frankly, we're beginning to see in a lot of organizations titles like security engagement, which is really exciting to see. And I think the reason that we're seeing that, again, I'll come back to it, is in part because in our private lives, we have all these apps on our phone and we can get so much done and it's engaging us and it's making us want to, sometimes making us too much, want to keep on using it. Mm -hmm. This is what I say to my kids about Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat. That, that weekly that. report that tells you how much more time you spent on your phone than it, you did the week before. It, exactly, right? You know, the, those Snapchat um, streaks of, you know, how many days in a row have you Snapchatted, right? <laughs> you know, uh, they are sort of addictive, right? But we're getting more and more used to that sort of engagement. That's what we need to bring to the security world. And that's what I mean by um, user pull, right? We did, a, again, a lot of testing um, as we went to build our platform. Uh, to figure out if these techniques of consumer apps um, could actually work in the security world. And, you know, uh, you know, I don't know how much the listeners have, have sort of um, explored what's really behind consumer apps, but there is a lot of very deep cognitive and brain research about how our brain makes connections, how we turn actions into habits. And the reality is 
Facebook is an addiction machine, right? It's hidden very well. But it's very effective. <laughs> very effective. Right. And there's this thing uh, that uh, people call the consumer app habit formation life cycle, which is, you know, you give people cues or prompts for action that are personally relevant to them, that are really meaningful. That prompt should lead to an incremental action, nothing big, something simple, but something that they'll repeat, for which they get an incremental reward. And the reward might be, um, you know, you get people uh, and, you know, with TripAdvisor giving you a thumbs up for your you review. You get liked, right. Ooh. Right, you get right. liked, which everybody really wants, right? right. <laughs> it could be that. It could be, um, you know, the Weight Watchers app giving you positive reinforcement and points and scores that show that you're doing well. Um, and then after you get that reward, you get another prompt for an action. And it's this um, sometimes virtuous, maybe sometimes not, cycle that reinforces pathways, frankly, in your brain that make things that were hard much easier. Because, frankly, when we learn a new habit, it is um, not only mentally taxing, it's physically taxing because our brain uses so much energy to make these new connections. But once we've started doing it over and over again, it's like a, a highway. There's like a hard-coded path in our brain. That's what's behind Facebook. So our idea was, why not take all this stuff that's working, you know, to convince my kids to do stuff that I, I don't want them spending so much time doing. Why don't we take that and use it for good, right? Why don't we use that to engage people in a way that they will find engaging um, to learn about and then take action to create new habits? So if you remember, I, I mentioned that we had, in our research, we found that security professionals have these 18 habits that differentiate themselves, you know, we thought to ourselves, what if we created sort of a Fitbit for online security, a personal assistant for people that would engage them, motivate them, reward them, make it super simple for them to take these incremental steps to create new habits around these 18 behaviors? Um, could that actually then help them become more like security experts and then become less of a risk to themselves and their family? Um, but also less of a risk uh, to their organization. Well, and the idea that you've described of this is not just about the organization. I mean, this is a body of behaviors that the user takes with them wherever they go, with whatever technology they interact with. So fortifying your work network is hardly going to deal with those factors, those, those times when the user is at home possibly absolutely getting into a bad place on the internet or, or making some mistakes that they shouldn't have made. A absolutely. I mean, fortifying the work network in response to people acting like people, I think is a losing proposition because we're going to just continue acting like people. And I think you hit on a, a really important thing, which is our habits are our habits wherever we go. Right. I often say, you know, when I drive up to my office and I get out of my car, I don't leave my habits from home in the car. That's why they're habits. They right. come with me right into work. And at the same time of, of understanding that, we also have to recognize with remote work, with cloud apps, um, you know, being used quite extensively with bring your own device, although many healthcare organizations are, are trying to control that, right? Um, more and more, people are doing work 
work on personal devices and at home, and they're doing personal work on work devices at work. And this blurring between personal and professional um, has, you know, really grown dramatically, right? So much so that it creates more risk, right? People have 300 passwords that they have to manage. Well, there's a reason why 42% of people use the same password at home that they use at work. And if they get hacked at home and the password gets stolen, it's pretty easy to figure out where someone works nowadays can just be used uh, to go and break into the organization. And that's what hackers know. And trust me, um, they're doing it. Well, they only have to be successful once, right? I mean, they can, they can hammer away at the organization, at the users, and 99%, you know, of a barrier is no barrier at all. Absolutely. Right? It, it is asynchronous, right? I liken it actually to uh, nuclear weapons, right? Just one nuclear weapon gets through and bad, really bad things happen, <laughs> right? So it's really hard to build a defense to stop everything from being able to come through. And I, I, I want to come back to the personal again for a second. Um, that's just really, really important. Um, if you remember the consumer habit life cycle that I, the habit creation life cycle that I mentioned, um, it's built around delivering personally relevant prompts. Well, if you get a prompt at work that says, hey, you should take this action because it's good for the company, good for the organization, it's going to protect it. Well, you'll look at it, but again, you'll look at it and sort of weigh it with what you understand better, which is, I know how much value my time is doing what I'm supposed to do for the company. Hard for me to figure out how much value this is. So I'll probably wait towards, you know, what I understand. I should do my job and I'm going to ignore this security thing. Well, um, if you present security challenges to people in the context of their personal lives, you actually get people to proactively take action at a rate 10 to 20% higher. I'm sorry, excuse me, 10 to 20 times higher uh, than you would. Um, this translation of these security challenges into what's important for you and your family to protect your bank account, to protect your health care uh, information, um, it drives people to take actions that then start building those new habits. Now, if if I'm an employee, let's say I'm a physician and I work for, I'm an independent physician and I have admitting privileges at a couple of different hospitals and I have a computer at work, I have my device at home, sometimes I have to use a tablet, sometimes I have to use a device that's shared with other users at a particular site. Healthcare is, is, is a complicated use case, if you will, or a complicated environment within which to to secure anything. Could you talk a little bit about what this means in, in the context of a healthcare organization? Um, absolutely. Uh, healthcare, so um, I've actually been uh, fairly involved with healthcare. This is my uh, third security company. Covered Security is, is the third company I've founded. But my last company, uh, actually, uh, we had 35 of the top 100 hospitals as customers. And uh, a rarity for a security company, healthcare was actually our largest market segment. And we learned a lot. And one of the things we learned was that um, the healthcare organizations, particularly the providers, have a um, fairly uniquely complex environment. 
um, you have uh, people who are potentially um, filling many, many roles in the organization. So if you look at a, at a clinician or a doctor, you know, they could be head of a, a, a clinic, a part of the organization. Um, they could be head of a department. They could be, if it's a teaching hospital, um, teaching classes at a, a connected university. Um, they could be uh, grant writers or owners or managers of grants connecting out to other organizations. So you have um, um, people who have on their side just multiple different types of access requirements who may be coming in, as you said, from all sorts of different devices. They may come in from a device that's uh, owned by the uh, university that's affiliated with the healthcare organization or the grant uh, organization, the granting organization. Um, and of course, you put that together with the fact that what people are doing, you know, it's not making a widget. I don't want to belittle sort of like what my company does, make software or any other company, but they're trying to save people's lives. They're moving very quickly. It's hard for them to see why they should slow down at any point for something like security um, because uh, they know the value of their skills to help people live healthier, longer, happier lives. So all that environment put together makes it very hard for you to actually train people. And I, I, I would bring back again to um, sort of the, the idea of let's look at the person as the whole person, someone that we're trying to help create habits in their life wherever they are. There's a great opportunity to deliver this capability to the physicians and the nurses and everyone else for use at home as well as at, at work. Um, you can build up those habits at home, and again, you're not going to leave them in the car when you close the door in the parking lot um, to go to work. So if we treat folks like a whole person, focus on how we can personalize um, prompts for action for them. Um, we don't fall prey to the challenges of you know, exactly what's going on in these healthcare provider organizations. Um, of trying to save people's lives, the fast pace, um, and the challenge of all the different environments that you're trying to connect up. Take me through, if you will, what this looks like to the user. If I'm, if I'm a physician, I'm going to work. I turn on my computer. I log in through a browser, I would assume, or some, some browser-based interface. What do I see? What does this look like to me? Sure. So, uh, frankly, it's the same as whether, uh, whether you're home or whether you're at work, right? Um, you can think of uh, uh, covered security as, as actually a, a sort of a two-sided platform or product. For people, it's a personal assistant. So you can go to the uh, application, which you can get on your phone, access from your phone or access from a device, and you can get advice about things that matter to you, about how to avoid healthcare fraud, how to avoid credit card fraud or identity theft. Um, you can see um, alerts about security incidents that might affect you, which um, from which you can take lessons that start building up new habits. Um, you can test yourself and see, you know, where do I sit? How, you know, sort of like a, a FICO score for online security. I can see. Am I doing well? Am I not doing well? Am I better than the average? Am I worse? Um, and you can see how, you know, get 
personalized guidance for how to improve and reduce the risk to yourself and your family. Perhaps the most interesting thing, I think, is that um, part of the product will follow you and protect you as you're browsing the web. So when you go to a website where there's been a recent security incident, it will pop up and it will warn you. It'll say, hey, this is what happened. This is what it could mean to you. And if you explore it a little further, it'll lead you to three to five really simple steps to take to protect yourself and your family because your information might have been stolen or your password might have been stolen. Um, and um, you won't be surprised that those three to five things quite often have recommendations to take the actions that lead to the habits, the 18 habits that security uh, experts have so that you can reduce the risk that you're going to cause a problem, financial or otherwise, for your family. Now, as an organization, I would say, perhaps, it's great that I've got more enlightened users when it comes to security. But I have a board of trustees that wants to know, what have we done since last quarter to improve the security posture or whatever uh, vernacular is appropriate, the security, you know, sort of qualifieds of the organization. Could you talk a little bit about, you know, you've got engaged users at the front end, but there has to be more than that in order to, to sell an organization on an investment like this. Absolutely. Well, there's even a little more to it than that. Um, uh, the user personal assistant, we make that free to everyone. Frankly, you can go to our website, to CoveredSecurity.com, and you can start using it. So we just make it available free. Um, so for us to actually have a business, we have to have value to the organization, right? And if you remember, I said that uh, Covered really is sort of a two-sided platform. And the other side of the platform is an analytics platform that really solves a huge emerging need, particularly for the chief security officer and the chief information officer, which is increasingly their boards are asking them to do what you've, you've mentioned, which is explain to me what our technology risk is. Show me how your program and the money that we're investing is aligned to reduce that risk or to get the risk to tolerable levels. Um, and then show me how you're doing, how we're doing in, in actually getting there. Right now, chief security officers, CIOs, they really have no way of explaining to their board the level of human risk that they're taking as an organization. They can explain um, the level of risk around vulnerabilities in the infrastructure. They can explain some of the level of risk of uh, human activity with how many phishing emails they've stopped with their filters, but they can't actually show how much risk the behavior is causing. So while Covered helps users, giving them their personalized prompts, helping them take action to create habits, helping them as they browse the web. Covered is um, capturing analytics anonymously to protect the privacy of the individuals that can show the organization what the level of human risk is, show them where they're strong, where they're weak in the organization in terms of behavior. It helps them identify specific people in the audience, even though they don't know who they are, the platform 
can allow them to identify people with certain behavior and get focused education and promotions to them. So another factor for all of us is, you know, if you're, say you're uh, a nurse and you're uh, on call and, um, you know, you have to take uh, some sort of security training. Say it's for strong passwords use. So good use of strong passwords, not reusing passwords, all around password security. If you're doing a good job around password security, what is that going to do for you? It's going to do nothing. Right. Except, I was, to, except, I was, I was str struggling to think about what would it do for me, and I couldn't come up with anything. Maybe the only thing it'll do for you is make you annoyed. Why are they taking my time? I already do this. Well, if you have the analytics to understand human risk, <clears throat> you can understand and target those who have certain behaviors. So you only get that education out to the people who need it. And again, I stress the whole... Uh, architecture of the platform protect, protects the privacy of the individual. So even while being able to target them with education, the company, the employer, has no idea who the individuals are. <clears throat> so you can identify the human risk, you can target behavior, and you can target the behavior for, um, uh, for uh, promotions as well, right? One of the things that we haven't really talked too much about is that part of that consumer habit formation life cycle includes a reward. Now, all sorts of research, and I just saw some recently some new research from MIT, shows that the carrot is more effective than the stick. Right? But what have we implemented? If you fail phishing tests, you're going to get written up by HR. I've even seen hospitals tell their staff, three strikes and you're out. You fail three times with phishing tests in a year and you're fired. Um, that does not work nearly as well to build habits than actually giving people a positive reinforcement. You've done a good thing. Here's a reward. And in fact, this goes back to the uh, behavior uh, research where um, researchers have looked at how we deal with rewards. So of course, when you get a reward, um, we get this little spike of dopamine in our brain. We, you know, we get really excited. We feel good. Um, if you re do an action or get a prompt for an action, take the action and get the reward. When you start out, you're going to feel that dopamine spike when you get the reward. If you do it repeatedly, the dopamine spike moves forward. So actually, when you see the prompt for action, Already your brain knows, I'm going to get a reward. Right. You're already getting the dopamine hit before you even do anything. This is why we have habits, <laughs> right? Because we get this feeling in our brain, we're in our body, woof, we're really excited. So with these analytics, you can actually start targeting people with promotions and rewards. Hey, if you do this, you're going to get um, a Starbucks gift certificate. If you take this action, um, you're going to get this... Uh, marketing swag or tchotchke. Um, and it's amazing. You, don't, you do not have to give people $100 to, to improve their security. You don't even have to give them guaranteed money. Like winning an entry into a raffle to win a $25 gift card does just fine, right? It will increase people's proactive rate of pulling security by 30 to 50% over the norm if you give them this sort of positive reward. So 
Um, the other thing, of course, once you get these analytics, is you can benchmark. You can benchmark with other companies to see how you're doing, but even more importantly for the company, perhaps, you can benchmark in your organization. So you can go and you can say, well, let's see. So the clinicians are scoring here, you know, the back office is scoring here, et cetera, et cetera. And you can, you know, start engaging the business executives and say, hey, you know, go to the chief administrative officer and say, hey, you know, your folks are doing great around passwords, but they're doing really poorly around social engineering and their behavior. Work with me, please, to help raise that up. And you start getting a really good collaboration between the security groups and the business groups because, of course, the chief administrative officer, the last thing they want is for the board to see the chief administrative officer's people are doing poor, much more poorly than the rest of the organization around this area of security, right? right? Before we wrap up, Chris, um, what are some of your final thoughts about, you know, leaving our listeners with a memorable covered security moment? Um, So uh, I would say that one of the clear things is um, to make all of this relevant to people. And that's so easy to say, but maybe I'll, I'll, I'll share a little bit more of our data, a little anecdote. So we uh, did some testing eventually across over a million people. We did a lot of testing through Facebook, actually. And um, when Equifax came out, the huge breach that we all know about, um, we went out to see how would people respond to this? Would this? Could this prompt people to take action in their lives? And we went out and we saw this amazing spike. Like people 10 times, took 10 times more action. Um, if we prompted them with, hey, this happened at Equifax, this is what it might mean to you, versus, hey, it's really important to manage your passwords well. You know, this is what it might mean to you. Um, but we found, and we were all excited. You know, we were running around the office. We, you know, we figured it out. Um, but over the course of the next three weeks, it actually dropped to below sort of what the standard ad in Facebook would get. So just if, if you just created some ad for whatever and popped it on there, this did, Equifax did worse. And um, of course, then we were a little bit depressed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe we didn't figure it out, right? Um, Back to the lab, Exactly. Right. But, um, but we kept on testing. And um, yes, Equifax hit people, and yes, it was really high profile, right? And in fact, companies talked about it to their employees. But it missed a really central element, which was people couldn't understand really tangibly what effect would it really have on me. So when we sort of stumbled forward and we tested some more, you know, we tested, uh, there was a, um, a breach um, with a payment processor that was used by utility companies that that uh, serve you know about twenty percent of the U.S. population, we went out with that as as a prompt. Hey, maybe this would get people to act because in the end, what it exposed were your passwords, your bank account information, your social security number, et cetera, all the sort of information that people would actually give uh, to utility companies. Um, you know, for all of their different programs and for payment. And um, 
we found out that we didn't get this 10 times spike, but we got a five times spike. And that five times spike lasted, well, frankly, we stopped testing. It lasted for nine months. And then we decided, okay, um, it's useless uh, for us paying more money for this research. It's just not really going anywhere. So, um, so we just sort of stumbled into it to realize that, you know, the, these sort of issues like breaches can prompt people to take action, pull instead of wait for the push of security education. Um, but it has to really be relevant to their personal life, right? It really, how am I going to lose money? How is my family less safe? How is my private information, like my healthcare information or my tax information, um, less safe? Those are the things that push us to actually take action. And, you know, as we've gone out and built this platform and then gone out with our customers and seen um, how, they, how they've worked, um, it has totally reinforced this. Um, our customers make this available to their employees and their partners for home use as well as work. And they recognize that um, they've got to get these prompts for action out to users in a way that really uh, means something to them in their personal lives. Chris Sinettos covered security. Thank you for your time today. Thank you, Denny. It's been a great pleasure. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. For more information on the Massachusetts Health Data Consortium and other podcasts, please go to our website, mahealthdata.org, where you can find more information and upcoming events. You can also follow us on Twitter and Facebook.